You're listening to the Hey Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded September 21st, 2015. Will Renovation. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. Glad you are with us. I want to give you a quick update. A lot of you guys know that I have been raising money to get to Cambodia. I'll be traveling with uh, seven other friends, pastors to go to Cambodia, and we're going to meet with our missionaries there, uh, as well as government officials and some of the churches that have been planted there. And the purpose of our trip is to um, help cast vision for the way the friends churches um, can be doing work in Cambodia. And so really excited about that. And a lot of you know, I've been raising money um, through photography. Some of you guys know that uh, that's just a hobby of mine, and so I've tried to bless um, people uh, with that, and uh, and in return, people have given uh, towards the trip, and we have raised all the funds and actually beyond, so thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity, and anything that's been raised over is 100% of it is all just going to go to um, our missionaries there in Cambodia and the work that's being done so if you still want pictures taken contact me via facebook um and uh, any money that's given is going to go directly to um, our missionary families there in cambodia and the work that's being done we're continuing our series on renovation and today we're talking about the will see our will is closely related to our character and our will is that internal overall structure of the self that is revealed by our long-run patterns. See, the will is, is dependent on our ideas, images, and feelings. And so the first week we started talking about our thought life. What are, what are some things that influence our thought life? The ideas and images and information that, that influence how we think. Last week we talked about our feelings we talked about our feelings and we talked about feeling we want to feel deeply about the things that God cares about we don't want to feel too deeply about things that have no eternal consequence and uh and so our will is dependent on these ideas and images and feelings our thought life and feelings have to be centered around Jesus our thoughts, our thoughts and feelings have to be centered around Jesus in order for our will uh, to be centered around God. Now, our will is that internal overall structure of the self that is revealed by our long-run patterns. Uh, we, we have ways in our time of uh, trying to judge a person's will or a person's character. We have... Uh, credit reports, right? If you want to take out a loan or you need, um, you have to get approved. And so there's a credit report and it's based on, it's based on your history. It's based on your, your spending habits and, and whether you are a reliable enough person, whether you have the character, you're the kind of person that will pay back a loan. Or if you've ever applied for a job, a lot of times you have to turn in a resume. You have to turn in a resume along with references where people are uh, writing a testimony about your character. See, the will apart from God is increasingly held captive 
by a limited set of ideas and feelings that are primarily focused on the self. Our, our will and our character is, is held captive when, when our ideas and feelings are, are not of that of Christ Jesus, but are focused on ourself. And whenever we tend to focus on ourself, like we are, we are the be-all, end-all, when we focus on ourself, I think we find ourselves in a prison. Right, we find ourselves held captive because ultimately there's a lack of depth. A lot of times we think of freedom in the context of of doing whatever we want, right? If freedom is me just having the ability to choose and do whatever I want. There was actually a study done and uh it had people go into a supermarket and they had they had to go and pick out salad dressing. And when they went to pick out the salad dressing, um, there, were, there were two stores. There was one store that only had about four or five different kinds of salad dressing. And there was another supermarket that had over 500 types of salad dressings. And so the people would have to go in and, and buy their salad dressing at the store. And then there was a little survey. How confident are you in what you purchased? And it was interesting. The people who had all the different options who had so many choices actually were a little bit more skeptical about their purchase because in the back of their mind because they had so many other options they were wondering did i pick the right one how do i know i picked the right one and the one that had a different label on it made by somebody different how do i know that one didn't take isn't a little bit better See, sometimes when we have unlimited freedom or what we perceive as unlimited freedom, the ability to do whatever we want, we find ourselves kind of in a prison. And I think the only way out of getting out of that prison is actually wanting what God wants. We have to desire what God desires. See, real freedom is actually a a matter of abilities, Real freedom is a matter of abilities. The discipline of thoughts and feelings channeled in a certain way into action. And so it's, it's actually a matter of abilities. Think of an athlete. Think of Mike Trout. I'm a big Angel fan from Southern California. And uh, as an Angel fan, we're lucky enough to have the best player in baseball play for the Angels. And so it's incredible to watch him play. And, you, and if you've ever seen Mike Trout up close, I've got to see him at spring training. This guy is just a beast of a person. Like he is huge. He's a big guy. And I and I think that's because he probably puts in a lot of time. Hopefully it's cuz he puts a lot of time in the weight room. He puts a lot of time training in the off season. And then he probably takes hours and hours of batting practice. It's that work that nobody sees. He's he's out there practicing fielding flying fly balls and ground balls and so when he steps onto the baseball field, he is prepared. See, when he goes out there and plays, it's as if he is completely free. He is completely free to go and execute however he wanted. Now imagine somebody who hasn't put forth the time in the weight room, who hasn't put forth the time in the batting cage and fielding and practicing. When they step onto a baseball field, they actually feel less free they actually probably might describe it as feeling trapped 
right? Because because their abilities aren't going to carry them very far. It's a very intimidating place to be if you lack the ability. But when Mike Trout steps into the batter's box, he's one of the most confident people out there because he's put in the time. When I was in college, we'd have to sit through these master classes, and they'd have professional brass musicians come in and play for us. They would lecture, and then we'd actually get to play for them, and they'd critique us. And I remember this one particular master class. They had a guy named Bill Adams, who was a, a trumpet teacher at Indiana University. And at the time, he was probably in his early 90s, and I remember them helping him onto the, the stage. There's two people had him side by side, helping him up the stairs, and then he just slowly walked um, to the stool in the center of the stage where his trumpet was. He slowly walked, and it was almost as if a small breeze could have just blown him over. And he goes and he leans on the stool, and he picks up the trumpet, and he takes a big, calm, deep breath, puts the trumpet to his mouth, and he just wailed. It was incredible. The tone and the sound coming out of his horn was just magnificent. And it was what made it more magnificent is you just watch this guy barely make it onto the stage. And then when he picked up his horn, you would think he was 25. And that's only because when he picks up his horn, he feels more free than anybody else picking up a trumpet in that room because he's put hours and hours and years of time into perfecting his craft because real freedom is actually a matter of abilities and in fact any form of creativity comes out of our spirit it's those disciplined thoughts and feelings, those disciplines of thoughts and feelings to create. And see, the will is so important it's because the will is what we contribute to the world. It's what we put out there. The will is those thoughts and feelings being put into action. And here's what's amazing about our will here's what's amazing about our thoughts and feelings is that there's nobody else on earth there's nobody else on earth quite like you the thoughts and feelings you produce in this bundle of energy is completely unique to you no one else in the world thinks and feels the way you do so therefore you are able to be creative, and God made you that way. You are able to produce. See, our will is what we contribute to reality. And see, that's why God wants to know what's in our heart, not our actions. God wants to know what's going on within us. He wants to know what's, what's spurring on our will. Because what is in our heart is what we produce in actions. Romans 10 verse 12 says this, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, what Paul's getting at is it doesn't matter if you're a Jew 
or a Gentile. It doesn't matter who your mama is and who your dada is. What really matters is do you call on the Lord? It's a question of your heart. Now, here's what's interesting about our hearts is that while we can't hide our hearts from God, God looks at our hearts, we do have the ability to hide our hearts from the people around us. And some are better at hiding it than others, but, we, but this is unique about our human condition, is that for a while, we can actually fool people for a long time. When people hear of a pastor's moral failure it's shocking because not necessarily of what they've done but maybe what's been going on in their heart the whole time and when we get those glimpses of that when we get those glimpses of that um i think those are those those times when when we realize how great and magnificent God's grace is and maybe how little grace we have often for one another that God's ability to look at my heart look at Andy and who he is and all his shortcomings and thoughts and feelings and God still loves me and cares for me in fact, Jesus says that he is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 4. If you're in your car, don't turn to your Bible. That would be dangerous. You can listen. While you're turning to John chapter 4, I want us to understand what just happened in John chapter 3. This guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he tells Jesus, look, Jesus, we can see now Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's a head Pharisee. And the Pharisees are kind of more of a political party. Um, they're religious, but they're also very, very political. So so understand that this is he's uh, Nicodemus is coming with a political agenda. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, look, we can see and, and listen to his words. They sound just like a politician. We, we can see that you are a great teacher. We can see that you have quite a following, that, that people like you, you're charismatic, you have this great following. And you know what? We've been around for a while. We're pretty established here. And Jesus, could you imagine what would happen if we were to come together, if we were to put these two movements together and think of the how the kingdom of God could be ushered in right here, right now, in this place. And what Nicodemus is thinking about, he's thinking about overthrowing Romans. He's thinking about political power. And what Jesus tells him is the only way to enter into this kingdom is to be born again. And Nicodemus has real questions and concerns about being born again because how can somebody enter his mother's womb? And I think we kind of get, um, we kind of have this graphic image in our mind, but actually what Nicodemus is thinking about is birthright, right? Because Nicodemus thinks about things in terms of 
birthright. People of a certain birthright earn certain privileges. And so is, is what Jesus getting at, is he saying that Nicodemus is not of the right birthright to enter into this kingdom? And of course, Jesus goes on and, and he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And Jesus goes on, and the most famous passage of Scripture we see on billboards and road signs, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. This is what it means to be born again. It's not, it's not a matter of who your mother and father are, but it's who calls on the name of Jesus who calls on the name of Jesus. And what's interesting about this interaction with Nicodemus is that Jesus gets right down to his heart. Where is your heart? Who are you calling upon? Who are you reliant on? And and in this story, we don't actually see Nicodemus' response. John, the author of this gospel, just kind of leaves us hanging, and then he switches modes, and he brings us to John chapter 4. Now listen to what happens. We're going to read John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, the, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, this woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but 
you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus goes through Samaria and finds himself at a well in the heat of the day. His disciples have gone off to go and gather food and when he encounters this woman and he asks the woman for a drink of water now this woman knows the score she knows that jewish men are not supposed to be associating with samaritan women and she points this out to jesus and then jesus says well if you knew who i was you would be asking me for a drink And I imagine the woman is a little confused because here she is at the well in the middle of the day going to draw water. And you would have your your bucket and rope, I imagine. And she realized that you have nothing to draw water with. This well is deep. You're you're not going to get anything out of it. And so the dialogue continues, and and it goes on, and we we find that Jesus exposes something to this woman. She eventually comes to the realization that Jesus is not just an ordinary guy. He's a prophet. When Jesus calls her and says, "Go, go get your husband. Let's bring him into this conversation. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, says, you're right. In fact, you've had five, and the guy you're now with is not your husband. He exposes what's going on in her life. And so she, she, she realizes that there's something up about this Jesus, and she says, well, I can see that you're clearly some sort of a prophet or whatnot, but here's the thing you need to understand. You see, we, we Samaritans, we, we come to this well, and we, we come to this well because it's been passed down through generations to generations. This this. This well was passed on to Joseph, and, and we, we come here. It's a place where we worship. It's a place where we come and we get sustenance. And Jesus says, you know what? It, it, it's not a matter of where you worship. It's not about being in Jerusalem. It's not about a well, but true worshipers of God worship in spirit and in truth see notice that the woman she worships in truth it's the place where her ancestors worship she even knows that the messiah is coming but notice what she doesn't do she does not worship in spirit see our will is what we produce which comes out of what we have disciplined ourselves in see she is doing whatever she wants has led her to a prison of sorts she's at a well in the middle of the day It's hot. 
She goes there to avoid contact or to have to avoid other people. There's shame. It's the destruction of herself. See, what Jesus is getting to here is that she needs to not only worship in truth, but her whole being, her spirit, which in turn affects her actions, needs to be orientated towards God. She might be at the right place and do the right things, but where is her heart? And that's what Jesus is looking at. Jesus is looking at her heart. We need to allow God to renovate our heart, renovate our will. In John 14, verse 21, it says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. You see, we must be disciplined. We must routinely practice. See, our will is that internal overall structure of the self that is revealed in our long-run patterns. And so what are we practicing? What are we practicing that allows God to renovate us, that allows us to be in communion with the Father. There are some disciplines that I believe that we as the church, we as the people of God can enter into that dramatically affect our relationship with others, that, that genuinely affect our actions, that genuinely affect what we produce, that genuinely affect our long-run patterns. And the first one is this, solitude. Jesus, oftentimes after he's with a large crowd, we see in scripture that he actually goes into places of solitude. It's an isolation from the distraction. You know, when we're in solitude, it allows us to listen to God. And this is so tough in in a connected world where we have devices that connect us with everybody at a moment's notice. But one of the disciplines that that affects our long-run patterns is that solitude, is that alone time with God. Turning everything off, getting away, being quiet and listening. One of the other patterns that we can that we can incorporate into our life that in fact in effect affects our whole lives, our our patterns, is fasting. Jesus fasts for forty days in the desert, and and what he's doing in the in the desert is he's putting aside all human desire. That's what fasting is. It's it's laying aside our desires. When we think of fasting, I think a lot of people think about food, right? Because we desire food. We we like to to fill our stomachs, and we like that feeling of fullness, and we enjoy the taste of food. And so it's a very simple thing to fast from is to set aside our desire for for food. And it, what when we fast from food or from anything, it allows God to re- reform our priorities. 
And it reminds us of where our sustenance comes from. I think there are many things that we can fast from. If you want to fast from food, that's great. But, but maybe you need to turn off your screens. Maybe you need to disconnect from your phone and fast from connection. You know, anything, we can fast from whatever we want. And what that does, it allows God to reform our priorities. Anything that we, we rely on, maybe sometimes it's a good, a, a good idea to fast from. The third discipline that we need to have that affects our long-run patterns is worship. See, worship reminds us that we are not God, and it removes the focus of our self you know coming to church and i care deeply about the church and i believe it is so important for us to gather as a community and worship and we need to think of it as a discipline because isn't it so much easier to just say i'm gonna sleep in oh i got this going on oh i was out late last night i'm not going to come and participate in that i will be fine but one of the things that happens is when we when we don't worship when we're not worshiping god is we tend to be very inward focus and you know what for a lot of us it is sacrifice getting up on sunday morning and going to church with those people that you don't necessarily always get along with. Or that guy who has some weird, crazy thoughts and ideas. Sometimes it is sacrifice, but going to worship affects our long-run patterns. And think about it. The very act of not going to worship is intend a focus on our self. It's a very self-serving thing, isn't it? We need to worship, and when, when, when we're in the presence of people who worship on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, you see the long-run patterns in their life and how they are transformed. The fourth discipline that we need to practice that affects our long-run patterns is service. Jesus on the cross is the greatest image of sacrifice that we have, the greatest image of surface. See, we need to, to be in places where we serve. When we begin to serve, it affects our long-run patterns. You notice that all of these things, entering into solitude, fasting, worship, and service, they're all intended to take the focus off of ourselves and on to God. See, when we are disciplined in these areas, we begin to experience true freedom. We begin to experience the depth and vast beauty and creativity and just awesome bigness of God. But we have to be disciplined. We have to be like the athlete who puts in the time in the off-season. We have to be like the musician who practices hours and hours 
a day. It's the same way with our faith, is that we need to practice solitude, fasting, and worship, and service. And these are things that have been practiced for centuries. These are deeply rooted in the Christian tradition. And I'm, and I'm very wary of any time that we say, well, we don't need, we don't need solitude. We don't need to fast, fast or we don't need to participate in worship. Because what we're doing is we're denying the very thing that has formed Christians over the centuries. What kind of faith, what kind of Christian are we if we're not disciplined in our walk? See, when we find our wills in step with the heart of God, then we experience the freedom that we're longing for, that we desire. Because God has created you in such a unique way with your thoughts and feelings. And he's made you incredibly creative. He's given you incredible talents and gifts. And if we are not disciplined with what God has given us. Think of how much is wasted. Think of how much is wasted and how beautiful the kingdom of God has the potential to be when we as believers, when we're disciplined in our faith, when we're putting in the time, think of how the church would be transformed if every single person in your church, in your congregation, was practicing fasting, worship, service, and solitude. Think of how that would just change your community to be disciplined in your faith. Because when we're disciplined, in our faith, it transforms our will and affects the long-run patterns of our life. May you go in peace, and may you experience the blessing of discipline.